With Hashem's assistance, we're learning Sota Dav Beis, page 2. We begin at the beginning of the Mishnah, just a little bit of background to the concept of Sota. The Sota is the wayward wife, it's a woman whose husband accuses her of being unfaithful because she's spending a tremendous amount of time with another man. So there are two stages in this process. The first stage is where he accuses her, he says to her that he's warning her that if she's alone with that man, if she secludes herself with that man, so she's going to have to be brought to the Beis HaMikdash, to the Temple. That's the first stage is the warning. And the second stage is the Stira, which is where she indeed secludes herself with that man. And in such a case, she's brought to the Beis Hamidosh, to the temple, and she has a whole process that's going to be done to her, and she has to drink the Mesota, the special waters of the Sota, that will determine if she's innocent, if she had relations with that man or not. If she did have relations with him, so then she dies a horrible death, and if not, so then she's shown to be innocent. Now we begin the Mishnah, If let's say somebody jealously states his wife that she had better watch out, that she's forewarned that if she's alone with that man, so... It's going to be bad for her. Rabbi Lazar Aymer Mekanila Al Pishnaim. Rabbi Lazar says that this process, this warning, has to be done in front of two witnesses. But as far as the stira, the fact that she secluded herself with the man, so all you need is one witness to see that, and then it's enough to bring her to the base of to the temple to perform the entire process of the sota. Or the man himself can claim that he indeed had seen her seclude herself with that with that man who she wasn't supposed to. Rabbi Shua says Mekanila Al Pishnaim Umashka. Yeshua says, no, you have to do both of these things. The warning of the husband has to be done in front of two witnesses, and also the seclusion, the woman going and being alone with that man, has to be done in front of two witnesses as well. Now the Mishnah continues, How does a husband properly warn his wife? If let's say he says to her in front of two witnesses, don't speak to so-and-so, I've seen you speaking to him and I'm very jealous. And she spoke to him anyway. So this doesn't constitute a proper warning. He has to warn her not to be alone with him. And then she has to seclude herself with him. But all he's done is warn her not to speak with him, so that's not going to be enough to make her forbidden to her husband. Because if he indeed had said to her that you should not seclude yourself with him, and then she went and secluded herself with him, so then she would not be permitted to be with her husband anymore. And also, if the husband was a Kohen, so then she would not be permitted to eat from the Truma, which only a Kohen and his family can eat. So in this case, where he just said to her, don't speak with him, and she went and spoke to him, it's not a proper thing, it's not a proper warning, and therefore she's still permitted to eat from Truma, she's still permitted to cohabit with her husband. Now the Mishnah continues, Let's say she did not listen to the warning of her husband and she went alone into a place, she secluded herself with this man who he had warned her against. And she was alone with him there, enough time for them to be able to perform relations. At this point, so whether or not she actually did have relations is irrelevant to us. It's enough to make her forbidden to her husband and she's also not permitted to eat from Truma if her husband is a Kohen. However, if the husband dies, so let's say they had no children. So ordinarily, a woman whose husband died and they had no children, so the brother would have to marry her. It's called a leveret marriage, yibum. However, in this case, we're going to see in the Gemara that there's a reason the Torah says specifically, or we learn out from the verses, that the brother should not perform the leveret marriage, the yibum, in such a case where his sister-in-law had been unfaithful to her husband, had been warned about being alone with a certain man. We begin the Gemara. Michti. Let's evaluate this. Tana mi Nazir Salik. The previous Masechta, the previous tractate, was speaking about the concept of the Nazir. A Nazir is a person who vows that he's going to abstain from wine. He's not going to cut his hair for a certain amount of time. He's going to be Kaddish, Lashem is going to be holy to God. So, what's the connection? My Tana de Katana Saito. What is the reason why we continue with Masecha Sota, speaking about the wayward wife? So the Gemara answers, Kid Rebbe. It's like the following statement of Rebbe. The Tani, we have a Brisa. Rebbe Yomer, Rebbe says, Lama Nismacha Parshas Nazir, Parshas Sota. Why is it that we find in the Torah, in fact, that the two concepts the concept of 
Nazir, the person who vows to abstain from wine, and the person, the, the woman who is a wayward wife, they were placed next to each other in the Torah. This is to teach you, that if a person sees a woman who is a wayward wife, and she's dying a horrible death, this should inspire a person. As a result, as Rashi explains, of the fact that this woman was involved in drinking wine, she became loose, and she had all kinds of extramarital affairs, and therefore that's why she died in this horrible way. So it should inspire a person to vow that he's going to abstain from drinking wine. So since we find that that's the understanding of why the Torah placed them together, that's also why we place Sota after the concept of Nazir. So the Gemara asks, nazir. If that's the case, the whole reason that we have in the Torah that Nazir comes after Sota is because whoever sees a Sota should then become a Nazir. So then that should be the order as well here. We seem to be switching the order. First we had Nazir, and then we are having Sota. Why don't we switch the order to the way it is in the Torah? The Gemara answers, I did the Tanakh Suvis. We're going to go through the whole order of the Mesechthas of the tractates and explain why one comes after the other. Once we were speaking about the concept of Ksuvis, which is the marital contract between a man and his wife, the Tanakh Hamadir, and in that Mesechtha, in the tractate, we spoke about the concept of someone who's making a nether, a vow in regards to a woman. So Tanakh so we continue with the concept of vows, because that's a continuation. It's a natural continuation. The idea the Tana Nadarim, and once we're speaking about the concept of vows, Tana Nazir. So then we continue naturally with the concept of Nazir, which is a specific type of vow. Because Tani Sota Kidarebi. And then, once we're already speaking about Nazir, so since we have a connection between Nazir and Sota, which is that whoever sees a Sota dying a horrible death, therefore they should become a Nazir. So since we have that connection between the two concepts, so even though it's not in the exact order as it is in the Torah, nevertheless, they are connected, and therefore, it would follow that once we're talking about Nazir, we're going to speak about the concept of Sota. The Gemara continues, Hamakane, the Mishnah, when it speaks about a person who's accusing his wife, it says, if a person accused his wife, the indication is, in that it's only something that if it was done, so then it's done. And we're going to go through the whole process. The indication, the implication is that a person should not do such a thing. It doesn't say that a person can or should go and accuse his wife. So, Kasavar Tanadidan, it's because our Mishnah holds also the Kanais, that it's something that's forbidden to do. A person generally should not accuse his wife of being unfaithful, as Rashi explains, because it looks bad for him as well as his wife. So, therefore, a person, it's forbidden for a person to do it. But if a person did do it, so then you're going to need a certain amount of witnesses, depending on the different shitas, the different understandings in the Mishnah. Amr of Shmuel Bar Yitzchak, Rav Shmuel Bar Yitzchak says, When Rish Lakish would first begin teaching the concept of the wayward wife, Amr Hachi would say as follows, that when God sets up a certain shidduch, a certain match between two people, it all goes according to a person's actions. If a person is a righteous person, so he receives a righteous wife. If a person is an evil person, so he receives an evil wife. Shinamar, the verse says, God does not place the staff of evil upon the lot of the righteous, meaning a person who is righteous will not receive an evil wife. So Rabbi says in the name of Rabbi and making such a match is difficult for God, so to speak. It's as difficult as separating, parting the sea, as God did when the Jews left Egypt. Shinemar, the verse says, God takes away the individuals from their homes, meaning He brings two people into matrimony. 
Just like he brought out the captive ones, the Jews who were captive in Egypt in Kosharos. So actually explains the word Kosharos is from the word Kosher, which means that it was a, a very good time. It was in the time of Nisan, the springtime, when, when it was neither too hot nor too cold. Now the Gemara says, hold on, Aini, is it so? Is it indeed true that a person marries a woman based on how good he is or how bad he is? We find that Rav Yehuda says the name of Rav, Forty days before the fetus is formed, meaning at the moment of conception, Baskal Yoitzis Vaimeres, a heavenly voice comes out and says, Bas that this person who's about to be formed, this boy, so he's going to marry a certain girl. Bias Pliny Lepliny. And there's a certain house that this person is going to live in, so the Pliny Lepliny. And there's a certain field that he's going to own. So we see that it doesn't go based on according to a person's actions, because a person has full free choice to choose if he's going to be a good person or an evil person. So if it's preordained who he's going to marry, how could it be that it's dependent upon his actions as well? So answer is like kasha, it's not a problem. It depends if we're talking about a person's first marriage or a person's second marriage. The first marriage, it seems, is a more natural marriage. It's the marriage of the person was destined that was preordained to him from before, 40 days before his he was formed as a fetus. However, the second marriage, after a person has divorced, let's say, he's marrying a second time, so that always goes according to a person's actions, and it depends if he's righteous, so he marries a righteous woman. If he's not righteous, so he marries a woman who's also not righteous. The Gemara continues. Rebelezer, I mean, Rebelezer says, Mekane la alpishnai v'chule. We said in the Mishnah that we have an argument between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yeshua. Rebelezer says that in regards to the first stage, so you need two witnesses. In regards to the warning that her husband is giving to her, his wife. In regards to the second stage, which is where she's secluding herself, so Eliezer holds that it's enough to have a single witness. Rabbi Yeshua holds no, that in both stages you need two witnesses. So Gemara says, Adkan lepligi elebekin vestira. Only time that we find that they're arguing about whether you need one or two is only in regards to these two, first two stages. But in regards to Tuma, let's say we know that she was warned and we know that she indeed was secluded. We want to know if she indeed had relations, and the ramification we'll soon see. So you'll have one, one witness can testify indeed that she had relations with a man who she was forbidden to, because she was already married to another man. That's going to be enough for us to believe him. Utnanami, we have a Mishnah that proves this. Let's say you have a single witness who says that he saw that she indeed had relations with the man that she was secluded with. So she doesn't have the right to go and drink from the waters. The whole process of the Mesota, of her being brought to the temple and undergoing this whole procedure, is dependent on the fact that we don't know if she indeed had relations with the person who she was secluded with. If we know for sure, so then she's not allowed to go and drink from those waters. So a single witness is enough to prevent us from giving her the waters to drink, she can't go through this process. So we see a single witness, everyone will agree, is going to be enough in this regard. So the Gemara asks, How do we indeed know that it's true that a single witness is believed in regards to revealing the fact that she had relations with someone? The Tanar as we find the following Brisa, that there is no aid. Now the question is, what is an aid? Because there could be two different explanations for the word aid. It could either mean testimony, and proper testimony requires two witnesses. Witnesses, or could it also mean a single witness. Could it be talking about two witnesses and saying you don't have two witnesses, and that would imply, but you do have a single witness, and despite that, the verse is going to say that she's forbidden? Or perhaps it's saying that 
Even if you don't have one witness, she still will be forbidden. And the Gemara is going to try to explain why we would think that. Tamad Lomar. So the Gemara comes to say like this, we have a verse that teaches us as follows. Lo yakum eid echad bi'ish. The verse says that a single witness is not allowed to come upon a man. Mimash Mashinamar, we turn to Daf Beis on the base page 2b. From the fact that it says, lo yakum eid bi'ish, meaning if it would have said that a witness should not come, any idea shu echad, wouldn't I know that it's a single witness? Ma tamad lomar echad. Why does the verse say, if a single witness shall come, or a single witness is not permitted to come? Zebana'av, this comes to teach us a general principle. Anywhere where it says the word aid, the word aid does not refer to a single witness. It actually refers to the concept of testimony. And a valid testimony requires two witnesses. So therefore the word aid always means two witnesses. Until the verse explicitly states that we're talking about a single witness. When it says aid echad, then we know that it's talking about a single witness and not just to a testimony which actually involves two witnesses. Now returning to our verse, So in regards to a woman who is a sota, it says, you don't have two witnesses. The implication is you do have one. She's not allowed to be retained. Asura. This teaches us that she's forbidden to her husband. So therefore, this proves that a single witness is indeed believed to say that she had relations with the person that she was not permitted to have relations with. Now the Gemara asks, The only reason that we know that the word aid is referring to two witnesses witnesses is because when the Torah wants to say specifically we're talking about one witness, it explicitly states thus. If not for the fact that we brought that verse, you would have thought that in regards to the Sota, where it says the word aid, you might think that it's talking about a single aid, a single witness, but then that would imply that if you don't have one, she still would be forbidden. What is she going to be forbidden by if you don't have a single witness? No, we do need that verse to teach you that the word aid refers to testimony to witnesses, thus implying that a single witness would make it forbidden. You would have thought to say aid ain't ba, ain't ba. Perhaps the word aid means a single witness indeed. And then we would have a different understanding of the verse, because you could say that when it says that there is no aid, meaning in this theory, there's only a single witness. It means that a single witness is not believed. says, If that's the case, what do you need? You need two witnesses in order to prove indeed that she had relations with that person? It can't be. Because the verse could have just as easily taught us the same thing, that you need two witnesses by saying nothing. Because we would learn it out from the word dover, which we find also in regards to monetary matters. We would know that it's similar to every single time that we have testimony in the Torah that you require two witnesses. So it can't be, that's why we need that verse to teach you that the word aid means two. It's Shechsaka that the Chaminah says, no, we do need it. Because you might have thought as, as follows. That indeed it is talking about a single witness. And nevertheless, we need to tell you that a single witness is not believed. Why would we need to teach you that? Because Saita Shani, that it's different in regards to Sota, that perhaps you would think a single witness should be believed. Why? Direct line of Because we already have substantial evidence that would imply that indeed she did something wrong. Enough to presuppose that indeed a single witness can be believed. Because we already know that she indeed was warned properly by her husband and she was already secluded. We have proper information to prove that she was secluded with a woman, with a man, I'm sorry, who she was forbidden to. And therefore, a single witness should indeed be believed. And that's why you would think that the verse has to tell you that you need two witnesses. And that's why we need to tell you that indeed whenever it says the word aid, it really does mean two witnesses. The Gemara wants to say, hold on a second. 
Is it true? Is it possible to say that you won't be believed? That indeed, that's what the verse is saying. Vesharia, never she would be permitted if you have a single witness who is saying that she had relations with the person. From the fact that the verse says she is not allowed to be retained by her husband, this implies that she's forbidden to her husband. So that means that when it says the aid einba, you don't have a single witness. So it's coming to say that he's not believed. But we're about to say that he's forbidden. She's forbidden to her husband. So how could it be that we're saying that he's not believed? The Gemara answers, it's true. We need it because you would have thought as follows. That the way you would read a verse is that a single witness is not believed until you have two. When there are two witnesses, so then it's not considered that they're married anymore because the two witnesses are believed. That's what you could think. And that's why we need to bring the verse that when it explicitly states that there's a single witness, that's when there's a single witness. But every single other place, there's going to be two witnesses. Whenever you have the word aid, it refers to a testimony, a valid testimony, and therefore that will imply that indeed a single witness is going to be believed in the end all. The Gemara continues, Rabbi Yeshua, I mean Rabbi Yeshua says, We said in the Mishnah, Rabbi Yeshua holds that both in regards to the warning and in regards to the seclusion, you're going to need two witnesses. My time is Rabbi Yeshua, what's the reasoning of Rabbi Yeshua? Because we have a verse, it says, that in regards to a woman being accused or being stated about her, that she had relations with a person that she was forbidden to. So we said, a single witness is going to be believed. So it says, in her. But the indication is, in that case, a single witness is believed. But not in regards to the warning. Then you will need two witnesses. A single witness is believed in regards to relations, but not in regards to the fact that she was secluded. There you'll need two witnesses. That's Rabbi Yeshua's Shita. Rabbi Yehazir says, Rabbi says that where you need two witnesses, only in regards to the warning, but not in regards to the seclusion. So he will say that when did we say that a single witness is enough in regards to relations? And that comes to say that you need two witnesses in regards to something else. That's only in regards to Kino, in regards to the warning. So the Gemara says, hold on a second, why doesn't Rabbi Yehazir agree that we would say that one witness is enough in regards to relations, but not in regards to Stira, to the seclusion? He says that indeed a single witness is enough in regards to stira, in regards to seclusion. Gemara answers, stira hizkish latuma. The reason is because we have a hekish, the verse places the two concepts of seclusion and relations next to each other. Dechsev, as the verse says, v'nistera v'hinitma. The verse says that she was secluded with him and she had relations with him. So therefore we learn out that just like in regards to the tuma, in regards to relations, so a single witness is enough, also in regards to the stira, the seclusion, a single witness is enough. Gemara says, hold on a second, kininami is his we also find that the Torah places the concept of kinoi, which is the warning, in close proximity to the concept of tuma, which is the relations. So therefore we should say, also in regards to the kinoi, the warning, you also shouldn't need two witnesses, it should be enough to have one. The Chesivah verse says, ishta And he accused his wife, and she had had relations. So the Gemara answers, no. This was excluded from the fact that the Torah says, that in regards to relations, there a single witness is believed. That implies that in another case, a single witness is not believed, and you need two. So we have to say it's talking about somewhere. So we say it's talking about the case of the accusation. There you need two witnesses. Now the Gemara says, Umar what do you see that if you're going to come to exclude a case and say that you require two witnesses in regards to that case, we're going to specifically talk about the warning and not in regards, according to Rabbi Yezer, to the seclusion? The Gemara answers, Mestar stira adifa. It would make sense if we're going to talk about a case where a single witness is believed, it's going to be in regards to the seclusion. Because there's a similarity between the seclusion and the relations themselves. Because the seclusion itself has the ability to create a forbidden relationship between the man and his wife. 
Gemara says, hold on a second, Adarabah, Kini Adif, if there's anything that's better, or which is more comparable perhaps to the concept of Tumah, of the relations itself, it's going to be the warning, Shekain Iker Garmla, that's the main place where we see that there's a cause, that there's going to be a forbidden nature in the end. Gemara says, hold on a second, Ilav Stira Kinami Ika. So I'll tell you why Stira, the seclusion is better, it makes more sense to say that there, there's going to be a single witness. Because if you don't have the seclusion, so then what's the warning worth? Gemara says, hold on a second, that's not a proof. If there was no warning to begin with, then the seclusion also doesn't accomplish anything. Gemara answers, nevertheless, It makes sense that in regards to the stira, in regards to the seclusion, a single witness will be believed. Because again, it's the beginning of the Tumah. The beginning of the relations is the fact that they were seen alone, that they were secluded together. And therefore, we're going to talk about a case where we see that it's comparable to the relations itself, that a single witness is believed, it's going to be the part which is talking about the seclusion. The Gemara continues, Our Mishnah does not go like the following Tana. The Tanya, we have a Brisa. says in the name of Rabbi If someone accuses his wife, so he does that accusation in front of a single witness, or based on the testimony of himself. Meaning, we see that a single witness is okay in regards to the accusation itself. However, in regards to the seclusion, you're going to need two witnesses in order to bring her to drink the mesota, to go through the whole process in the the temple. So the sages respond in regards to the statement of Rabbi There is no end to this, and we'll see soon in the Gemara what this means. That they said that there's no end to this. My time is So, what's the reasoning of Rabbi Yisrael Behuda that he says that a single witness is believed, or the man himself is believed, in regards to the accusation? Because the verse says in regards to the relations that a single witness is enough for that. That's excluding the, par- the process of the seclusion. They only need two witnesses. But in regards to the original accusation, one will be enough. Gemara says, hold on a second, name above Why don't we say that a single witness is only believed in regards to the relations, but not in regards to the accusation? The Gemara answers, that the concept of kinah of accusation is connected to Tumah. We see that the verse places the two right next to each other, and therefore that implies that both cases a single witness is enough. As the verse says, and he shall accuse his wife, and she indeed had relations. Asks, Hold on a second. But in regards to Siri, we said we need two witnesses. But we also find that it's connected to relations as well. The verse says, that she was secluded and she had relations. The verse says, no. That connection is t- telling you what is the amount of time that is necessary that she be secluded for in order for it to be enough for her to be brought to the temple. That's teaching you that it has to be the amount of time that it takes to have relations. That's what it's coming for. Now, we said on the right side, that the sages respond to the that there's no end based on the words of Rabbi Yehuda. What does it mean that there's no end now? That as Rashi explains, you can have a case where the husband brings two witnesses that she secluded herself with the man she was forbidden to. And then he claims that indeed he had warned her previously. So since he can say that and, and there's no question as to the fact that he's going to be believed, therefore there's no end because it could be just as well that indeed he never said anything to her. Therefore the sages dismiss the statement of Rabbi Yehuda.
Another one asks, It's only Rabbi Yehuda's Rabbi version that seems to be a challenge to the Chachamim to say that if so, there's no end to the matter. But the Mishra's version of Rabbi Lazar, that would be okay? We won't have a problem there? Since according to Rabbi Lazar, a single witness or the husband himself is going to be believed in regards to the seclusion, so there'll be times when he claims that she was secluded with the man, and in fact it's not even true. So therefore, it should state the same statement. The sages should have said that regards to the sheet to the understanding of Eliezer in the Mishnah as well, not just according to Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda. So Gemara answers, That even according to Rabbi Yehuda, also in the Mishnah as well, it's true that there is no end. There's always going to be a problem since a single witness or the husband himself will be believed and he theoretically could at any point say that either he saw the seclusion according to the Mishnah's version or that he had warned her according to Rabbi Yehuda's version in the Brisa. Now the Gemara challenges the wording of Rabbi Yehuda and it says, the implication here is by saying that even according to Rabbi Yehuda, that the Mishnah is less of a Chiddush, that it's obvious in the Mishnah that we're going to run into problems, that there's going to be no end to it because the husband could always claim that in fact he had seen her go and seclude herself. The Gemara says, It's less obvious that you're going to have a that things are going to get out of hand in the Mishnah because in the Mishnah at least you have a beginning. At least you have a warning with two witnesses. Awesome. But in regards to the case of Yehuda, like a Iker. So there is nothing, there's no beginning even, because the beginning could always be claimed by the single witness or by the husband that indeed he had warned her. So there is more of a problem of Eno Dabrasaif in regards to the Braisa. Rather, if the same was made, it was made as follows. I'm Rabbi Yosef, I'm Rabbi Yechanan, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yosef said in the Rabbi Yechanan, the Divir Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda, that according to Rabbi Yehuda, and even in our Mishnah, we're going to run into a problem that there's no end to this matter since a single witness or the husband himself alone will be believed. Amar B'chanin Misur says as follows, A person in our time should not say to his wife, that she should not go and seclude herself with so-and-so. Perhaps we hold, in fact, that in fact is a valid accusation to be done based on his own word. And then she'll go in front of two witnesses and be secluded with him. Since we don't have the temple, so we're not going to be able to check her with the special waters of the Sota. Now she's going to be forbidden to him forever. And therefore, a person shouldn't place himself into such a problem. And therefore, don't say such a thing to your wife. What's the explanation of the word kinui, the accusation being referred to as a kinui? It's something that places jealousy or angst between herself and others. It must be because Reish Lakish holds that the concept of Kinoi is it's enough for it to be done only on his own without two witnesses. And everyone will not know the Kony that he had warned her. They'll say, Why did she stop hanging out? Why is she not uh, talking to anyone anymore? Why? They don't realize that she had been warned not to speak to anyone. And therefore, they're going to have angst towards her.
He says that what's the understanding of the word kinui of this word? It's something that places angst or anger between the woman and her husband. Must because he holds that you need two witnesses in order for it to be considered a proper warning. Everyone will know since you have two witnesses that indeed she had been warned. So who's going to be upset? Who's going to have a tiff with her? It's going to be her husband. We can deduce that they hold the Osir Lekanois, as we said previously, that it's forbidden to make such an accusation, to make such a warning, because it's something that Hatalis Kina Rashi says, you're placing anger between the people, which is a negative thing, it's forbidden. Now the Gemara says, Zumanda Amar Mutter Lekanois, according to the one who says that it's permitted indeed to make such a warning, Ma'olashen Kini, why is it referred to with this language of Kini? Amar Av Nachum Mar Yitzchak, so Av Nachum Mar Yitzchak explains, Ain Kini Eloloshen Hasra, the word Kini is actually a language of warning. V'cheinu Omer, we find that the verse says this word in this respect, that Hashem warned his land.